last time on Trials of the Apocalypse. I think that it would make sense for Erdo to have once saved my life, a debt that I'm eager to repay. In the same way that a seafarer can see the, the sky on the horizon and know that a storm is coming, there is much that can be read from how a Toltho's eyes appear. I, uh, I also love the idea that like in a, in a resisting the shadow or being taken by it or something like that, that probably the, uh, the eyes of someone from the Toltho clan would turn black. Let's not lose ourselves before we get there. Teddy has already started to walk off to get ready. Teddy's not sticking around for a pep talk, yeah. The great deal of her armor is the scraps of comrades' armor that was not completely ruined in battle. Erdo's previous squad got wiped out. I've got a bit of a, a bit of a fun one for you. Do you think that your troops are up to a stint in the mountains, Erdo? P is perking up. Maybe my brother isn't dead. What you know is that Pasek's brother Loma is dead. But then I look back down at the map because I cannot meet Pasek's eyes. Loma is gone. You couldn't just let me have the slightest bit of hope. Seen less but still encountered are the mediums, women uh, who have been perfected to the shadow's liking, and they bear with them strong and mystical powers. Um, I think they all wear these circlets around their heads. I think you have one of those circlets oh, that was yes. taken from one of those mediums when they were killed on in battle. Yep. One of the reasons that Teddy hasn't changed sides is she sees those mediums. She's like, I'm not going to be one of those. I'm one of those prissy looking little motherfuckers. <laughs> Hell no. With your eyes covered in the circlet on your head, you let that tether form that connects you to the shadow and its forces. And rather than your vision showing you greater signs of this fortification, your vision immediately pans to the well in the middle of this village. There you see not one, but two mediums. Uh, and I think it's at that moment that you tackle. Absolutely. <laughs> like, but Teddy, um, yeah, Teddy goes back to packing everything up. She's going to be ready on time, just fine. She gets her Legos picked up. <laughs> <laughs> does it take to get to Dolmont? Uh, so Dolmont, as uh, Field Marshal Deanis said, it should be about a two days journey. Um, you might face some slowdown there because uh, it is, of course, this being a year since you, you had to flee Dolmont. Um, it is the end of the rainy season. It's been raining for nearly three months up in the mountains and the ground will be softer and a little bit more difficult to traverse in that way. That's one of the reasons why the unit being sent is only a platoon um, because since you are a smaller group, you are a little bit more mobile. You can move a bit more quickly, even in the more inclement conditions. And I think that afternoon when you leave, after receiving your orders and getting everything set up and meeting up with your new platoon mates, uh, the other squads that are traveling with you, it begins to rain very softly. Um, it's it's like the thin sheets of rain that don't really obscure your vision. They just make you wet over time. And importantly, uh, the mud. Yes, and certainly the mud. Uh, at this point, I think since we're starting into our mission, I would like uh, everyone to to roll their uh, appropriate rolls. Uh, I'll explain that really briefly. 
Um, so, uh, mission moves are a whole uh, set of moves that are separate from the, the main basic moves and, and other moves of the game. Um, and since we're going into a mission, our mission leader, our highest ranking officer, which is Erdo, uh, mm-hmm. gets to select which of her squad gets to roll which one of those. Mm-hmm. Um, so who's rolling what? And when we get to each of those roles, we'll explain what each of them are. So Erdo, first off, is taking point. She's got a great deal of experience in the field, and she sees it as her duty to take things up front to make sure that others don't have to. Uh, and then who are you assigning to each of the other roles? Uh, Pasak, uh, Erdo has noted, is pretty, one, charming with <laughs> folks, uh, which is a useful skill all on its own. And fairly perceptive, so Pasak has been assigned to recon and lookout. Teddy, meanwhile, is quite the cunning spider and therefore has been assigned to navigating and strategizing. And Fee, meanwhile, is designated to watch our backs. Uh, So, first, uh, I'd like everybody to roll their rolls in the order that the book prescribes. Oh. So actually, I, I think they are rolled in sort of opposite order. Watch their backs, navigate, strategize, recon, lookout, and then take point. That makes sense. As mm-hmm. the final. So um, let's hear it. I've given everybody but Erdo a charm on Mike. Uh, we'll take care of that real quick. You like metal. Erdo does like metal. I think uh, Fee gives Erdo a charm that is basically a small lump of uh, of iron that is like contained in a woven little net and like has a has has some macrame sort of stuff around it uh, and Erdo can wear that wherever she wants uh yeah she does she um I think she just has a necklace with various sorted bits. She's kind of a magpie type, after all. (laughs) And she adds Fee's charm to that loop. Okay. Now that everybody in her squad has one of these, and may have had one of these to begin with, because this is not our first mission together. Um, I just briefly, it's like at summer camp, you know, when they'd give you the little beads on your staff or whatever. That's at least what I remember. Oh, yeah! Yeah, <laughs> everybody gets a fee badge. I think, I think I think that somewhere, like Teddy, just has a pile of these somewhere because she doesn't really know what to do with them yet. She's trying to think of a use, but they're just accumulating in her collection. <laughs> <laughs> well, hopefully, you have one on you. Um, I think that since it specifically says in uh, the word against evil move, which is the other one I took, when you use protective charms to watch their backs on a mission, roll with luck instead of training. Nice. Ah. Um, oh, very cool. So what I am imagining is that since you're using protective charms, since I'm using protective charms, uh, I see this less as like a literal watching of backs and more as I think that Fee like closes her eyes and is able to tap into something to sense where her squad mates are and is also able to get a general sense of other things like shadow if it shows up in any amount. I would say you would probably be able to know, especially in line with this move, like roughly where your squad is and 
whether they're in duress or or even to a degree what nature of foe they might face. Okay. Um, but I think it's it's all going to be very nonspecific. Yeah. Um, but it is like helpful information for you who's trying to look over them. Yeah. And it, of course, is also very much based on how I do with this role. Yep. Yeah. Uh, we're just we're just painting what that could look like. Yeah. So, uh, so yeah. like, yeah. Well, w- watch their backs. Roll. Let's roll and see what happens. <laughs> stressful. So stressful. Why am I doing the first roll of both of these? <laughs> because prepare, then move. Yeah, that's pretty good. That is a nine plus two. Oh, an 11. Yeah, that is an 11. That's gorgeous. Great roll. Uh, so do you have the move pulled up? No. Oh, well, maybe I should do that then. Um, on a hit, hold one. Uh, on a seven through nine, which you did not get, you also mark weary. On a miss, add a complication, but you didn't miss. Cool. Yeah. So. So I just uh, I uh, I close my eyes and I feel like it's basically like the world kind of goes grayscale a little bit, except for the three of you who like light up with some amount of of color, whatever color you might want to be. Um, and I can kind of track you that way. Well, before painting mm-hmm. too much uh, how this benefits you in this mission, uh, we know that you've been successful on that, but then we move on to the next roll. We do all of our rolling ahead. Okay. Uh, and then we dig into what actually transpires. Sorry, like that. never that's, mind. That's interesting. I mean, I think that's I think it's a good setup. No, yeah, yeah. yeah. You, you've, you've teed us up for what happens next. So I have to navigate and strategize now, right? I believe yep. so, yes. Erdo knows Teddy's good with plans. Yeah, let's hope the rolls are good, too. But yeah, yeah. Uh, <laughs> But just briefly then to kind of add some flavor like Emma did, I think if I recall correctly from yesterday, Teddy knows two things relatively concretely from her opening the shadow and she knows that there's a weakness in their one of their fortification areas, right? And she mm-hmm. also knows that if they get the drop on whatever's going on in the well, that that's advantageous. Is that correct, David? Yeah, so so I think basically you know that the most dangerous thing happening there is happening in that well. And if you can get the drop on that, you will... You will have dealt a blow. Okay. Um, I actually think then also it would it would stand either due to the interactions in the uh, sort of briefing room or just later interactions because I don't think she was there for the conversation between Pasak Erdo and uh, this is the downside to not being part of the pep talks. Uh, <laughs> but she's going to know that they're going to Fee's home, right? So I think she is actually mm-hmm. going to you know talk to Fee a little bit. We don't have to play a scene out there, but she's going to she wants to know. Um, you know, sort of verify her vision in the layout and also try to get a sense of what their best way into that well is. Because the only way that she's currently seen is basically going down it, which seems a long distance. And she's not opposed to doing that. But knowing that there is some sort of chamber or something going on down there, she knows they must have had to get down there. So either they had to just jump down or go in or they had to have some sort of side route into it. Okay. That's interesting. Okay. Mm-hmm. So uh, we'll, I think... Depending on how you roll, yeah, on yeah, exactly. Roll, we'll I'm, just, I'm just setting up what it is she's trying to do. How well she yeah. does it is about to be. No, I think sure. that's really cool, and I I have an idea. Um, and so my cunning is two. So let's just fucking hope for the best here. Um, I got an eight plus two, which is a ten. That's nice. a ten. All right, sweet. Wow. Nice, nice. Y'all are doing yeah, great, baby. Y'all are well deployed for the next up. Uh, so so then that was for. That was for navigating. That's for navigating strategies. Okay, cool. So we've got a ten there, uh, and on that you just succeed without a complication. So, yeah. Okay. Cool. 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 Recon lookout. Recon and lookout. 
are you? Why did the first roll I have in this game? It's a six. The six? Uh, that's including your modifier? Yep. All right. Well, I have a hold. We could get it up to a seven. That True. would be Please. wise. Yes. <laughs> So actually, this is good. That means at some point in this mission, uh, Fee assists uh, Pasak um, and prevents uh, a failure. Um, so that's good. So on a seven to nine, you get to choose one complication uh, or you mark weary. Uh, it looks like that's done just after all the mission moves are complete. Uh, yeah. Yeah. We'll just know that you you owe us either a complication or weary. Oh, you do my personal vote is for complication just because that'll that make the narrative fun. fun. Yeah. It sounds fun. <laughs> yeah. uh, I, I'll be honest. I was kind of hoping since uh, since since we did well, since the two of us went, did well, I was hoping at least one of you would fail. Yeah, I was like, too. Someone would fuck I up. Wa- yeah. I didn't want it to be any necessarily... specific one of us, but I did want yeah. it to be someone to struggle. <laughs> yeah. I feel bad because I know. <sighs> it's okay. No, the the more <laughs> for me from a, a MCing standpoint, the more you guys screw up here, the less cause like that. That'll mean that this will be exciting, and then <laughs> it puts less stress on me to make something else exciting afterwards. That's true. Um. Anyway, uh. So finally, we're on to taking points. Erdo leads the way. That is a five plus two. That's a seven. seven. The fo- plus one forward. Yeah, that is an eight. eight, unfortunately. Well, that's good. That's uh, So same thing as with Pasak. Uh, you can choose one complication uh, and you mark weary uh, or an additional point of jaded. Take points a little bit riskier. Mm-hmm. Um, so that brings us to the port where we actually select these. So I'll first ask you, uh, Pasak, um, what kind of complication are you selecting or are you instead electing to take weary? Um. I, I don't know. I think honestly, what what feels the most fun to me out of this list mm-hmm. is the shadow took hold of me for a time. I oh. marked jaded, and the and the uh, mistress of ceremonies will say what I did. Excellent. And that's just briefly. That'll be really fun because the person who theoretically could help you the most of that is the person <laughs> is that Ted. you're not right, getting absolutely. along with. <laughs> that's actually really interesting. Oh, this is good. I'm I'm marking this down on my my notes. Oh, that's good. That's good. I love <laughs> that's that. So good. Uh, so first, mark your jaded for that, oh, uh, sure. and then also everybody, if you have not already, mark one jaded for uh, just going on this mission. Got it. Was it jaded or weary? It's jaded, jaded for oh. on the mission. Yeah, yep. missions. Missions. This is a long term uh, implication for you. No matter what, you're going to come out of this thinking, "Damn, war sucks." <laughs> Mood. <laughs> uh, so that's the complication then that uh, Pasak chose. Uh, Erdo, how about you? Okie doke. Um, there are two that are at the front of my mind. Uh, one, Erdo was wounded during the fighting. Mm. Or two, uh, Erdo suffered a deeply personal loss. Oh, 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 Erdo. I've got something for that. I will just briefly say I do like that the first one gives me the chance to use some of the healing stuff, but I'm fine with whatever. That's true. That's, That's true. Point. I'm open to both. I feel like there's gold waiting in these hills. Um, I, here's the thing. Uh, if you would rather, I, I will give you the option instead of marking weary or an additional point of jaded, you could take two complications if you want. I like that. <sighs> that would be really interesting. If, oh. you just, if you just want to make you, this interesting. It goes hand in hand if it were something like losing armor mm-hmm. uh, yes. that you would be wounded. Exactly. That's mm-hmm. what I was thinking. True. You know what? Yeah, 
I'll take you up on that. Okay, let me mark those down. Uh, before this began, uh, I I took notes on different like specific actions I could take that would specific like ways that I could po- point the narrative that would uh, stab a character, a particular character. And I've had one for Erdo that I wasn't sure if I was going to get to work in, and now I get to work it in. Oh, so yeah, <laughs> he's so excited. I am. David loves hurting his friends. Uh, what? No, 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 no. Consensually, but yes. Um. So, I mean, let me write these. <laughs> I, I spent so much time talking, I didn't actually write these down. Um, now I'm mildly glad that I'm somewhat the new person in the group. Then, <laughs> um, mine was um, shadow takes hold of Pasak for a time. Yes, uh, the shadow took hold of me for a time. I mark jaded, and the mistress of ceremonies will say what I did. Okay, and then for Erdo, it was uh, Erdo was wounded during the fighting. Mark to harm. Uh, which is two out of three. Oof. Uh, and I suffered a deeply personal loss. I must surrender to weariness after the mission, which Erdo currently has uh, zero. So <laughs> that's good. Yes. So we are we're we're getting into the mission. Um, the role so, play. Yeah, the role, the actual role play. Basically, we're going to move in time now. So you departed from the foothold with little fanfare. Um, in fact, none. Um, again, your mission had to lead off a little bit in advance, and they're holding off as long as possible with informing people of the the effort that is about to begin. There's a little bit of a risk there with making sure that all the supply chain and and other logistic operations can keep up with the pace of the operation. But in exchange for those risks, there's much lower risk that the shadow will have informants who know what's going on and be actually prepared to deal with the attack. Um, so it it puts the ball much more in the in the watch's court, so to speak. Um, so you all depart with again very little fanfare and head up into the mountains deeper. Um, you you leave in a a small band your your platoon. Um, I imagine most of you are are just moving on foot. Um, you're going to be doing a lot of hiking essentially through the mountains to get deeper to where your destination is uh, and. While you might be able to do that on horseback or even with uh, some potential uh, spider allies, thanks to the the Toltho, um, it's just the kind of terrain, especially with all of the rain that's occurred, that makes that unwieldy and quite difficult. I like to imagine that the platoon is kind of scattered, uh, one squad per like hill, essentially, and within sight of each other, but also wearing cloaks, not being obvious military, though someone with the right vantage might be like, oh, they're military anyway, so as to avoid tipping off any preserved that happen to see them. Yeah, so I I like the idea that you have sort of spread your column out as soon as you leave the foothold. Um, You you break up, you have uh, signals that you can use to alert each other in case something, you know, they run into any encounters in the woods. Um, But otherwise... These are densely forested mountains, and there's been a lot of rain, and it's just tricky travel. Um, and it's a little bit exhausting, but I think all of you have undergone various conditioning to, even if you don't necessarily like it, be mostly accustomed to this sort of thing. Uh, and this being only a two days journey, I mean, there's sometimes you've had, you know, like week long death marches, and those are way worse. Uh, so this isn't the worst traveling you've had to do. Um, there is definitely in your squad and in the others, uh, when you settle in for the night, uh, for that first night on your way there, 
do you settle in as a group? Uh, again, this would be your call, Erdo. Uh, or do you stay dispersed uh, even when night falls? I think given the sensitivity of the mission, Erdo even suggests to the other squads in the platoon, this sucks during the rainy season of all times, but no fires until we have the village. I'd also uh, like to add for the couple of nights that we were out in the woods, uh, I don't think she suggested it. I think probably somebody saw Fee set up by climbing a tree and sleeping in there. She's giving Basak space still. Taking taking a bit of space as well, yeah. right? And also looking out. Yeah. Watching uh, watching the skies, watching the horizons. Watching their backs. This is all like almost automatic for Fee mm-hmm. because it wasn't too long ago that this was legitimately what she was doing as just her survival method. Yeah. Uh, so it is a dark, damp, uh, and quick night um, as several people hold watch and make sure that no one has noticed you or no one stumbles upon your group in the night and it goes uneventful. Um, your march, it's... You can, you can sense in the air the anticipation with your squad and with the other squads. Um, again, it is only in this month that the you know counteroffensive has really begun by the watch. This is exciting and also a little bit terrifying. Um, and anxieties are high, as is hope for that matter. Um, and everyone, although their, their feet are getting stuck in the muck here and there, um, I don't think there's very much in the way of complaints. Everyone is either t- too nervous or too excited um, to really let the weather bog them down. Um, and by the time it gets to the early afternoon of that second day, uh, when you're finally pulling up closer to where the, the village is, um, the rain has actually broken. Um, there's a little few rays of sunlight breaking through the clouds in the sky, and it is dry and the air is almost warm, and you hear all of the the sounds of the forest alive around you. And as you pull up to your your final, not exactly a camping site, but your, your final gathering point to relay instructions before actually going through in your assault on the village, um, the place where you gather is in a small grove among the trees, uh, which is ringed by blackberry bushes. Oof. Oh, oh. So, uh, Fee, you've been here before. They're overgrown now. No one's been tending to them. Yeah. Okay. She's a little distracted. But that is also who she is as a person. (laughs) So you have good intel, thanks to Teddy, on what you might want to look out for. Um, Here as you're gathered by the blackberry bushes, uh, I I wanted to hear Teddy's strategy. You're not quite on top of it. You're still far enough away that anyone who might be looking out there would have a very low chance of seeing any of you. But from both your vision and also what glimpses you've caught through the trees, uh, you know that there is a fortified wall of of thick trunks that have been sharpened uh, all around this village. And the gates, which were burned away some time ago, uh, there are now like spiked crisscrossed barricades in front of that are fairly easy to to move and remove from the inside and very pointy from the outside. Okay. Um, 
And you know, of course, that there's the well in the middle and you, you had some interest in trying to find a way other than through the middle of town to get in there. Yeah. You know, she's going to, if that's, if that's what has to be done, she's going to do that and that's going to be her plan, but she wants to know of what her options are first. Um, I think since you, you rolled such a success on that dice, I think there is, and I'm going to leave that up to basically, uh, as you talk about what your plan is, I want Fee to be able to chime in with whatever you think the alternative might be. Yeah, I have an idea. Our Teddy, I think Teddy would approach Fee first. Actually, probably what happens is at some point she just sort of knocks on the tree and looks up and just gestures for her to get down. <laughs> Fee kind of like pokes her head out and stares at her. <laughs> And then slowly lowers herself down. Okay. So, yeah. Uh, there is another way down into the well. And it is through... Uh, there was a kind of an unofficial Vixen setup a little bit out of town. Outside of the wall, probably. Mm-hmm. Okay. Um, it, it was a way for uh, Vixen's to go out into the woods if they needed to without attracting attention from the village. And so uh, it's it's essentially a, a burrow into the well. Uh, I don't think it's next to the blackberry bushes, probably, because that would be too easy. I think it's probably like to the pick a direction to the west. Sure. Yeah. Um, to the west of the village. Yeah, I think the blackberries are to the south. Yeah. So you know that that's there, um, and you know that there is there's certainly forces occupying yeah. the village. Yeah. Yep. So so we know that I think then Teddy's going to want to go there, um, figure out. Uh, Teddy's definitely the type of person where if this plan is really important and she knows that she has the skill set to execute it, she's not going to want to not be involved in it. Um, Teddy For sure. again, like her creator. Uh, is very anal about these <laughs> sorts of things um, when she has a plan. Uh, and she's definitely not going to go alone, though, I think, because what I get is that there's some type of like underground passage or whatever, right? It is an underground passage. I imagine it is not going to be without its own dangers. Yes, and I imagine it's not going to be particularly large either, right? Like, no. Clearly, okay, yeah. So she's... I think she would be... Especially if Fee know, or has navigated it, she would want to bring Fee... Um, if that's something yeah. he would want to do. Um, so she would do that. Maybe bring some other folks, you know, NPCs or whatever, which we can fill out later. But um, I think the plan is going to be to go through there, try and dispatch of whatever is going on inside that well. And then you mentioned that the barricades were easier to move from the outside, right? Uh, uh, from from the inside. From the inside, of sorry. The, of course, yeah, yeah, yeah. From the inside of the barricades, village. if it was the other way around. Yeah. Um, <laughs> and so I think i think she communicates to erdo that um because this is tricky right there's no there's, they don't have radios or any other way to communicate mm-hmm. she's going to try to basically say like okay the plan is going to be that we're going to dispatch of that come up out the well somehow um and get rid of the barricades B- but understanding that the plan may not work right she doesn't have the hindsight of knowing yeah is a good one um is going to try to get some sort of contingency plan of error of like, okay, if, if we haven't done it by this point, then you need to assume that you're going to have to deal with those on your own. Okay. Uh, no, I really like this. So I think then Erdo upon like having this general plan, like, okay, we, we go in through this side entrance to the well. I know there's a threat down there that needs to be neutralized. And if we do that effectively, it's going to make this attack a lot more successful uh, and then we'll go up through the well because there, there's got to be a way out of there as well. There is. Um, then 
we we can remove the barricade from the inside. And that sounds to me like the pen, like the tippity top of this operation. That sounds like taking point. It it almost seems to me then like the best plan would be to send your squad on that part of the mission and then have the other squads waiting when the barricade is removed to storm the the village. Absolutely. I sense. think uh, hearing this plan from Teddy, Erdo would say, this is good. If we can bypass their defenses, then we don't risk any pickled militia and bypass as many cogs as possible. Catch their shield wall on the back. I'll be at the front, you with me, and... We'll have one more squad with us, just to make sure there aren't any interruptions. All others will rush in once we open the gates. I do love that we made a trans narrative story in which the word pickles is involved heavily. (laughs) Yes. (laughs) It's an optional word. It's not the nomenclature I wrote down. I mean, I... It was totally a slip for me to say pickled instead of preserved, but I think that's just an honest slip of the moment because yeah. the pressure's on, you yeah. know? It's true. Yeah. Uh, where is Basak going to be in all that? Uh, yeah, recon. Actually, I think this is where we're going to now move forward into the actual operation. Yeah. Sure. Um, so after determining the the intention, um, and just to make sure I've understood uh, what you're thinking, uh, next for how Erdo's deploying the squads, there's five in total, including yes. your own. Uh, three of them are going to be waiting outside, and then yours and another are going in through the tunnels. Is that? Mm-hmm. Once we've established a foothold out of the well, and the forces of shadow have their eyes on us, then we'll send the signal, a flaming arrow, and the others will rush in towards and through the gates, which will rush to and open, and we'll catch them in a pincer. Something I do love about that is that you said no fires earlier, and so it's like no fires until we take the village. And so it's, it's the one, the first fire that. is going to be the flaming arrow that we're going to shoot up. Yes, uh-huh. I love that. Excellent. Yeah, that's great. The fires of freedom. Hell yeah. Um, so the plan begins. Uh, the operation starts. Uh, three of the groups post up uh, in the forest in the tree line where they have visual on the village, but they're waiting for your signal before engaging. Your group uh, and the other squad with you I'm going to give these people some names, uh, some basic descriptions. I think this squad uh, is the Warden and Three Initiates. Um, and their names are uh, Drala, Prithi, Launo, and Raelic. I'm guessing uh, Drela's the Warden there? Uh, yes, Drela's the Warden. Cool. And uh, we'll we'll give the the most description here to uh, Drala. I I think that uh, Drala she she uses she her pronouns. Uh, she has like very like very short, if not a completely shaved head, and she has a large uh, face tattoo on one half of of her head um, that like extends up to cover most of her scalp. And she is from. It feels to me like a trait I'm going to give to Clan uh, Roishan, the, the Clan of Warriors. Excellent. And actually, it's an image uh, of an eagle, I think, uh, or or of some um, bird of pre- predator bird with like the, the beak sort of open over uh, her left eye. Uh, and then the number of feathers that's coming out of the top of the bird's head and the tattoo are like the number of important kills she's gotten on the battlefield. Mm. Uh, And she has like five feathers coming out of it. Hell yeah. 
And the initiates with her, I think are, I'm actually going to make this whole squad uh, Roishan. I think that they are people who, they're fairly young members of the Watch. I like to imagine that in Clan Roishan, it is traditional for all folk to begin martial training at like the age of eight. Yeah. So by the time they're old enough to age into the Watch, like a Roishan initiate is good. Teddy very much appreciates this clan, I think. <laughs> I, I think this is like training training ballerinas. It, mm-hmm. AKA it starts like at four. Yeah. Like the their their bodies are different from their, their training so early. They are more flexible, they are stronger, they are more able. Um and these Roishan clansfolk uh, are well equipped for battle. So Drala's squad uh, follows after yours. Um, when you arrive at the the den that the Vixens used to use here outside of the village, normally, Fee, you would expect to see out front, they would have two uh, fox statues on either side of the entryway to the den, uh, which is, the entryway to the den is basically, there was a cave here, and they've built out a small wooden building in front of it mm-hmm. um, that would essentially be like a waypoint, an entry point, before people could actually go in to the the spaces where they conduct their rites. Are they shattered, maybe? They're gone. Oh. Um, the, the statues that are normally there, there's little plinths upon which those statues sat. Um, and those statues are just gone. Uh, you do not know where. Uh, in their place, there is on either plinth, uh, roughly, I think, three inches in diameter, about six inches tall, uh, these obsidian rods which you know to be part of the iconography of the shadow. This is another example of its of its domination of the territory it occupies. When you enter the den, which you've entered a numerous times, Fee. Yeah, I don't think she has since she was a child, probably. Yeah. Um, because I think it is mostly uh, reserved for vixens. But you you have this rich memory of entering, and there's like all these smells and things. I imagine that they would have like uh, on some of the walls in here, just like hanging reams of of herbs uh, and other uh, local growth that would be ground up into various poultices or powders that were part of the uh, religious rites, or just part of the food that went into feeding the vixens uh, who who made this this place uh, their their primary home. Mm-hmm. Medicine, too. Yes, absolutely. Um, and when you enter, um, all signs of that has been stripped away completely. This room is empty. Yeah. Clean, but empty. I think Fee hesitates quite a bit. She's kind of rethinking this whole thing. She might even say to Teddy that they might not want to do this. I, I would actually love this in dialogue, if okay, we could. Okay, that's what I was so, wondering. Yeah, yeah. So, so Fee, you enter... Uh-huh. Um, I think you're maybe third. Uh, Pasak led the way, right. Teddy behind. Yeah. Um, and er- Erdo is uh, watching over the other group behind, making sure they make their way up to the den safely. Right. Um, your head was looking back at Erdo, and as you face forward, stepping over the threshold into this building, you can see that it is just completely emptied out. Um, and nothing that you knew, nothing that is familiar about this space is here. All of all of those aspects, all of those uh, physical representations of the culture that was here are just gone. And it smells different. It does. Absolutely. Um, she'll probably say in a whisper, this is bad. We 
This isn't... This isn't safe. And does she whisper that to anyone in particular? And just to the whole group? Yeah, it's it's definitely, like, kind of urgent, and it's probably directed more at Teddy. Okay. Teddy will look... Teddy's definitely studying. She's Teddy is internally asking, is this a logical response or a... Yeah. Because she does trust... Like, I think in their brief time planning, she recognizes in a utilitarian sense that Fiha is an asset in this case, and so she's not going to immediately dismiss it as an illogical thing. Um, I think she's probably just going to ask, um, what, what exactly is the problem? What's changed? It's taken by the shadow. You saw the rods outside, and they've taken it. Was that un- was that unexpected? <sighs> I guess not. Do we need to change anything? Just, just be careful. Okay, I, I think Teddy. Teddy has asked what she thinks is necessary, which is, does the plan need yeah. to change? Fee has said it doesn't, so Teddy, Teddy will nod. Um, I think this is very tricky because um, one thing I will say, T- Teddy, Teddy is an asshole. I've established that. I'm fine, <laughs> you know, playing my character true to that. Yeah. The one thing I think that she will, because I've established that Teddy isn't like almost maybe, you know, I don't even know how much people count years or how much Teddy bothers to count years at this point, but probably into late, late thirties or early forties, which means she's over twice as old as Fee is. That under different conditions might make her slightly more compassionate, but also she grew up in an environment where she literally like her parents threw her in a pit of spiders when she was a kid and was like, get get out Mm -hmm. or die. Um, But I do think, I think what she will do is she will just look to Erdo and just do like a head gesture, like check on them. (laughs) Just in the sense of like, I'm not good at this, but this might be necessary. (laughs) Basically just telling like the other, the other parent, like to just take care of the kid or whatever. (laughs) Uh, you you cast that glance to Erdo uh, Pasak you were also in the space and would have heard this conversation uh, but you were also at the point uh, at the far end of the room that you enter it's only a single room that this you know shack up against the the side of this cave uh, has and you can see that there's just an, an aperture that uh, Fee would know was like once ringed with like fresh uh, flowers and, uh, and plants uh, vines that were and it basically a trellis around the entrance here, and all of that is stripped away. It is just raw rock and darkness leading deeper in. Okay. Um, um, I think Pasak would, of course, turn around and listen to what Fee had to say about this place being, you know, dangerous. And, like, and I think uh, we'll ask before proceeding. So, obviously, a lot of things have changed. Um, anything positive, maybe, that I should be on the lookout for that would be a good sign of a, a way to move forward? Uh, she'll she'll look at you and she'll say crystals. Crystals. All right. <laughs> I like this. This is good. No, this just um, become like a multi-level marketing thing here. Just trying to sell <laughs> crystals. Uh, look for the Amway products. Uh, Erdo, I'll take your final chip in in this scene before I think we, we end it and move deeper in and we'll take a break for that. Yep. Um, 
Erdo's got Arrow out and is maneuvering it, you know, being careful to not jab any allies and keep it pointed at the literal and metaphorical darkness ahead. And she turns her head to Erdo and says, You're Erdo. She's introspective, okay? And she turns... <laughs> she, she's looking inward. She's looking inward. You know those funky Skyrim oh, mugs? No. Your yes. eyes just roll into the back of your head. No, her head rolls into the center of her torso. Oh, excellent. No, okay. Beautiful. And she looks back to Fee and says... We are here to fix what is wrong. We will mend the roots torn by the shadow. Have faith in our mission and your comrades. She will nod. Uh, Since I'm on watch your backs duty, uh, I imagine I'm going to be literally in the back. Mm -hmm. Uh, And I think she's got her hand um, against the wall as we enter brief thing that I will say is when Teddy sees that exchange I don't know how much it shows on her face but definitely what is going through her head is an acknowledgement of like satisfaction because again we've talked about like how she sets people up and connects them so she's like okay cool like suggesting that was a good idea there might even be a little bit because her relationship with Parda is definitely on her mind right now and I think she definitely, even though she'd never really admit it, has a degree of envy for how easy it is for Edo to just talk to people. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, doesn't doesn't pass like, but and but her mind, she's like, okay, cool, that was like, you know, they had that skill set, and I didn't, and that's it's just a skill set. There's no other emotional qualities to it. <laughs> <There's nothing laughs> of course not. On there, yeah, it's just utilitarian. I think I think you that. have no, it's perfect. Uh, you have that fleeting thought as Pasak leads the way into the darkness, into this, into this hole in the ground. Hey there, it's David, your MC, producer, and Twitter goblin, here with a very, very special mid-break. I only have one announcement today keeping you from the rest of this episode, and that is that we have officially launched a Trials of the Apocalypse Patreon. We have patron tiers with benefits ranging from access to bloopers and early episodes to getting a say in what we run and play on the podcast. I've spoken before about the many hours of time that go into the production of this show, but there are also several material licensing and hosting costs as well, so... If you enjoy the games we feature and the stories we tell, please consider supporting this project. You can do that fiscally, of course, through the Patreon, but you can also do that by sharing our show with others you know in person or online. Either way, thank you. We really appreciate you listening to our podcast. This arc is about to heat up, so get ready. I'll talk to you later. Goodbye. I want to lead this next bit off from Pasak's perspective. Oh, boy. Um, Pasak, uh, you you can hear softly the footfalls behind you. 
Um, I imagine that you all are going into here mostly, if not com- completely dark. Um, or are you, I guess that's a good question. Uh, are you bringing any torchlight in with you? Uh, Teddy, strategy, fee, uh, knowledge of this place. Should we use light? I think it is generally very dark in here. I think part of the the thing is to maneuver by touch and smell and other senses. So I think that we can absolutely bring torches or some other light in with us because otherwise it's not going to be in here. Oh, actually, uh, so now that you've said that that's like sort of the traditional way to approach this space, um, I think that in all of the halls there are already torches mounted and lit. Ah. The the mounting uh, brackets for these torches has just been with big heavy iron nails jammed into the walls. Yeah. Um, and there are, yeah, there are absolutely torches burning in here. Yeah, I uh, feel like Fee, like, finishes or, or you know, get, is in the middle of saying, like, it's going to be dark in here because, like, that's what we do with it. And then we go in and there are torches and she's just like, ah. Uh. Of course. Yeah, I, I think the very entry, like, the entry bit of it, which I described as being dark, is somewhat dark. But that's because the, the passageway turns almost immediately. Yeah. Um, and that's where the torchlight begins. I like the idea ah. that there being light is unsettling. Yes. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And I think the 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 cave system opens up a bit almost immediately and you can see that there were spaces here carved that might have been uh, dwellings for people at some point in time. Hmm. Um, there are doorways uh, carved and there are you know flat, bits of stone that clearly were cut away from the wall where a bedroll might have been placed at some point. But again, this space has been totally cleared out. Okay. Any material movable sign that people once were here has been completely removed. Got it. I think there even were were once markings on the wall that had been made uh, with like a scented paint or something that could be understood through... Your, your invisible senses as much as through the visible uh, and what light may have occasionally been brought back here. And those markings on the wall have also been wiped clean. Like I said, it smells different. Which is, I think I'm probably extra uncomfortable, right? Since you highlighted the importance of smell in navigating the space. Mm-hmm. Can't exactly. use that anymore. Yeah. Nope. So the cave has opened out a little bit into this space. Um, and in front of you, there are multiple tunnels, probably five or so, that snake off in different directions, leading deeper in. Um, Fee, as you acknowledged, you can't really lead everyone with scent anymore. So instead, you gave the direction to look for crystals, because um, that is the, the distinguishing sign of the path that leads closer to the source of water, to to the well, to the aquifer. Mm-hmm. Um, and... They're like milky quartz crystals. Ooh, love that. Basically, I'll, I'll ask a question now. Yeah. Um, how do you all deal with this challenge? Like, where do you direct people in this circumstance? Um, what I was kind of thinking is that uh, Pasak could, like, at each fork, basically go a little ways in on their own and then basically bring back what they've seen to the group and so on and so forth until either dead end or crystal. Okay. Mm-hmm. So, so then everyone else waits back in this space. Uh, that's good. I like that. 
And then I think I think uh, to to an extent, like <laughs> Pasak is relying on their luck to, you know. Yeah, yes. that's true. Um, Pasak, you go through the first one, and then you go through the second, go through the third. Each one of these dead ends in uh, other spaces similar to the one that you're in now. Um, as you go in through the fourth one, you you take a left, you take a right. And the torchlight casting shadows all about you, flickering inconsistently. And as you round another bend in this tunnel, it has definitely continued on for longer than any of the previous three. And as you round that bend, uh, it opens up once again, and you can smell the water, the wet stone and the, the minerals that over time have dissolved into it. You can smell that and you can feel a very soft breeze. Uh, and you, at this point, see in small clusters at the base of the walls and around the ceiling, uh, you see clusters of these iridescent crystals that in the flickering firelight are visible. You're about to turn back around and tell your, your comrades about this when you see in the corner of your vision uh, stepping uh, almost seemingly out of nowhere a woman of almost insurpassable beauty. Uh, there is something about her that like, not only caught your eye, but immediately grabbed not part of, but like all of your attention. Oh boy. And she she's dressed completely in black. I imagine that it's a fairly tight-fitting garment. Uh, and the material is... I'm, I'm going to describe it as unknowable. Um, oh. Like, you, you feel like if you were to touch it, you you cannot visually sense how that fabric might feel. Um, it's, it's inscrutable in that way. Um, and all of her features are sharp. They're precise. Uh, she is equal in every measure. And she has, like, dark hair, raven black, uh, and eyes that are like a, a burnt ember, a little orange glow to them. Mm. Uh, and she, she sees you, you make eye contact and you feel that connection. Uh, and she just beckons you forward with her finger. And Pasak is at this point, I think, that the shadow takes Pasak ah. for a moment. Um, you find yourself guided forward. And it's not, it's not particularly unwillingly. It's just that the reason you're here seems really hazy. And the fact that you needed to report something back is is a, a passing thought in your mind in this moment. And you you are led forwards. David found a way to turn horny brain into a <laughs> into a story piece. Oh Lord almighty. Horny brain is always a plot hook. <laughs> you, you need I swear you should have taken a few more horny bonks. That would have prevented that. <laughs> kidding. Oh. Work work that out. No no bonk could could no get bonk could overcome this. Yeah. <laughs> No bonk could suppress this. Yes. Oh my god. Um, you bonk. I get bonked down, but I get up again. <laughs> but I get up again. <laughs> um, and I think uh, this is where we're going to introduce the the plus one hold that you had uh, fee that you spend here. Um, you with that charm that you have on Pasak, you have this connection, and as Pasak is led away deeper into the tunnels. You, you feel two things, um, because it's not. Again, the sensations you get from this are are hazy indicators, and it doesn't feel like Pasak is in danger. 
but you get the sensation that Pasak is clouded. And that Pasak is just moving further away. And the further Pasak gets away from you, the weaker your connection gets. Uh-huh. Um, so I want you, in that moment, describe how Fia is feeling and like what she says to, to the superiors, what she recommends. Fia is uh, tracing her hand across the wall, keeping an eye on the crystals, making note of where the different paints and such have been taken off the wall. And we've gotten into this habit of stopping so that Pasak can go down a, a side corridor. And after a minute, when they don't come back, Fee's head, like, snaps toward that. And she says, something's wrong. And I think she starts moving toward that corridor, and she's going to go down that if nobody stops her. I think seeing this, Erdo hand signals to the whole squad, and basically begins to rush down that way. All right. All of you march down the tunnel. I don't think at this point you're necessarily bothering with stealth anymore. No. Um, I mean, as much moving, as possible. We're but. not moving loudly, but we're also not trying to be quiet anymore. I think uh, Erdo especially is in something akin to full plate and chain. Yeah. Um, which makes its own noises when you when you try to rush. Yeah, <laughs> only being so quiet there. But I, I think, yeah, the lot of you rush down this tunnel uh, towards where uh, Pasak had gone. I think Fee is probably in the lead. Seems like someone would have to catch up and stop Fee if they don't want Fee to be in the lead. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I think Erdo, having possibly the greatest martial experience short of the Roishan squad with us, on seeing Fee try to take point, she absolutely claps a mailed hand on her shoulder, looks her in the eyes, and kind of brushes ahead with arrow point first. Okay. Fee is hot on her tail. Yeah. Valid. Um, so you round that same bend into this open, more open chamber, um, and you not only smell the water and, and see some of the crystal growths, um, but in addition, you see Pasak uh, in front of you, you know, 30 or 40 feet, already half submerged in the pool. Uh, the, the woman, uh, she is hovering just above the water uh, and she keeps moving a foot further away and a foot further away, uh, leading Pasak very willingly, probably to their death. Seeing this, Erdo calls out, Initiate Pasak! And wades shin deep into the water and motions for, I imagine in the Roishan squad, there's mm -hmm. one archer, one archer to take the shot. Oh, excellent. So I think this is when a melee begins. Um, and I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to zoom out just a bit as we describe how this scene goes. And then we're going to drop back in when things get really interesting. So uh, this this woman, uh, clearly uh, at this point, you're able to identify her. Uh, you see, I think uh, Pasak did not notice this, uh, but, but <laughs> they're too busy going. Her pretty yeah. lady, <laughs> simple alert. <laughs> uh, but I think that uh, Erdo and all of the others, uh, you notice the circlet upon her brow uh, of impeccable steel. That is that is tight, almost merged with her flesh. 
Um, Were you to run your hands across her forehead, you would feel no bump, just a change in material as you went from her skin to the circlet to her skin once again. Oof. (laughs) Yeah. And yeah, this is one of the mediums of the shadow. Um, And she she floats there. The words that just came to my mouth was like parallel and perfect. Um, mm, like, like she she is uh, ramrod ninety degrees <laughs> perpendicular to the water. Yes, and as you all enter the space, I think that she falls back a bit further, still sort of like gently floating there above the water. Um, I think Pasak is still being led forward, and you go to stop them. And arrows fly towards the medium, uh, and. She, like, waves an arm, and part of her garment ripples off uh, in shadowy tendrils and, like, snatches one of the arrows out of the air. But the second one, like, rings true and impacts her in the shoulder. And she falls back further uh, across what you can see is an opening, an access point to the to the aquifer. You, you see light coming in from above uh, where the well must come down to here. And... According to Teddy's vision, there were two of these mediums. Teddy is aware of this, and as you know, the the, the fire begins uh, being laid upon the medium there over the water. I think Teddy, you are looking for the second one. Yes. yes. Um, you see a disturbance in the water itself, off to the right of where this this conflict has begun escalating, and it's like someone forced a cylinder of air down into the water with with perfect sides yep. um, descends in. So there's like a dip in the water. An yes. unnatural shaped dip. Oh, like a Niagara Falls almost a little bit. It's like there's a perfectly circular yeah, waterfall exactly. there. Yeah. Yeah. Um, in our flow, the water is smooth. Yes. Unlike with a waterfall, there is no roughness to the to the uh, falls. So it is it is perfect. Yeah. yeah. It's almost a trick of the eye. But you are are looking for it. And you see just the top of the head of that same raven dark hair there in that disturbance. Um I want to ask Fee, how did how I'm going to almost say did you uh engage in this melee with the first medium? Uh and then uh with the second, how do you initiate that conflict Teddy? Fee's armor is lighter than Erdo's, and I think as Erdo is wading into the water, Fee is splashing, uh, trying to get to Pasak as quickly as possible and grab them by the shoulders. I like to think visually that as you reach Pasak, they, as you touch them, they spin around and you just see, like, pitch black eyes. Yeah, yeah. that's what I was thinking, too. Uh, you, yes, you're aware that the eyes of uh, those from Clan Toltho, they reflect many things, uh, and when the shadow is upon them, uh, it reflects the shadow itself. And Fee sucks in a breath, because this is worse than she thought. Fee, you managed to rouse... Pasak from the shadow here. What do you do to do that? I, I do think you arrive at Pasak shortly before Erdo, just because, as you described, Erdo is much heavier uh, <laughs> in the water, much more water to move. You are more lithe and, and lightweight. Fee puts her hands on either side of Pasak's face 
and forces them to look at her and and says look at me she's not real uh i think that pasak's eyes uncloud and they shake their head and they just say i found the right way (laughs) (laughs) oh that's so good. That's so cute. Uh, drip, dripping wet, almost neck deep in the water. Yeah. They're She's trying their best. She's gonna fist them on, kiss them. On I the gotta fist line. them. Oh, that escalated way faster <laughs> than I was them right. Uh, right in the skull. Let me let me get that line one last time. She's gonna kiss them on the forehead. Thank you. And I try think, to turn them around. I think at that point, Erdo's heavy gauntlets clamp down on both their shoulders pull them back from the deeper water and she growls at Pasak because she is a little miffed. That's two. So is it now me on to kill the second one or does Pasak need to Yeah, I, I think Erdo has begun reeling them out of the water. Uh, yes, Teddy. Uh, and I'll, I'll describe here in a minute the other group as well. Yeah, yeah just help me understand I am seeing that further into this pool, there is a dip down, and that is where I presume the second medium to be. You you see like the very top of her head and the water is shifting slightly, almost like she's descending deeper into it. So I would have to go into the water to get to this person. Uh, I ask at this point uh, what Teddy is equipped with regarding weapons of war. Uh, currently, uh, and I think she has a few bits of basic gear kind of like the others but the actual um piece of equipment that she would most use is the blade on her her arm um the one that is in place of her right hand and in seeing this i think so something i'll add is a bit of flavor yeah teddy admires most of the shadow except for the medium she finds them annoying because of how pretty they are they piss her (laughs) off yeah, um, <laughs> that they just go against like she loves the whole Spartan aesthetic, the whole authoritarian aesthetic. She loves all that. She hates the fucking little flighty women. Um, and uh, I think upon seeing that, it's probably the first time we have seen her actually smile because she knows she's going to get a chance to kill one of these things. <laughs> um, Man. I think she's going to grab the circlet out of a pouch or a bag or something probably she probably has like a a thing on her back that is very like tight fitting so as not to get mm-hmm. loose around but can still carry a lot of her basic medical supplies and stuff that she would Absolutely. need in the middle of something uh, and she's gonna grab it and she's just gonna hold it up and like got something of yours bitch do you wanna come get it <laughs> uh as no this is actually great as you pull up the circlet and like raise it in the air here you see the slow deepening of that depression in the water immediately stop and begin to raise as the medium inside there basically like pulls her head above the water to get a closer look. And also you immediately catch the attention of the other one who was deflecting arrows with her shadow. Uh, and you see her take another arrow because you do this. Nice. Um, Teddy, Teddy grins. This is the first time she's <laughs> grinned this entire thing. She loves this. I do think one thing, just a little bit of flavor I want to have her say when she pulls the thing out, she sort of mimes putting it on her head. I think it fits me better, but if you want to come get it back, you're welcome to. <laughs> uh, I, I think the medium in the depression of the water 
she she floats up like the other, uh, and you see her appear above the water, and I don't think even you blink, but you feel like maybe you might have, because suddenly she is just, like, a foot from you. And she has a wide, playful smile on her face, and she, like, practically purrs, where did you get that, kitten? Teddy is going to stab her right in the fucking face when she does that. Yeah. I think, yeah, as soon as she appears there, in the same way that, like, some people instinctively, when they're, like, scared at a haunted house, just, like, punch them. I think, like, she pops up and your knife was already out and you just, like, throw your hand out. And I think, I think this move surprises her because I think when you gestured, like, that you had this circlet, she came here to tempt you in some way, obviously. Like, she, she was trying to provoke you and you were here to kill her. And so I think your your blade reaches home uh, immediately. Where does Teddy, it land? Teddy hates these things because they're beautiful. She wants to hit them right in the fucking face. Yeah, it is It is an instant and it's over in an instant. And I'm going to say, I think what she does is they do get to ask that question. Where did you get that kit? And I think almost even like, yeah, it's almost like they're moving through the space while they say that. And I yeah. think when she jabs it, what she's going to try to do, if this isn't too badass, is rip the thing off of her head and basically like, pretty much like that. Um. <laughs> oh, I love that. That's like fantastic. You, you stab your blade forward and catch it like underneath the crown of her brow and rip it upwards and yeah. pull the steel circlet right from her. It is bloody and unpleasant for anyone watching. Yes. Yeah, there's um, a skull cap flying through the air of a very yes. literal kind. She definitely yes. wants to uh, get this thing and add it to her collection if she can. What do you? It's not a decapitation because it's not the whole head. It's I guess yeah. it's a, a decapitation. Skull capitation. Yeah, skull capitation. Yeah. <laughs> another thing. Yeah, I'll just briefly add for Teddy yeah. with that is the satisfaction that she's feeling for her the act of putting a body back together. Um, using her anatomical knowledge and disassembling one with the same set of knowledge are about as satisfying. And the former one does mean that she doesn't have to quite worry as much about precision, which provides a degree of enjoyment. A degree of freedom. Yeah. And you you hear the ringing clatter uh, as the steel hits the ground, uh, separated in the air from the, the bit of skull it had bonded to. Uh, and as it settles, you see that there is not a speck of blood on it. It is perfectly clean. Um, meanwhile, in this other conflict, uh, very rarely do things in my notes actually make their way into the game. This is one of those rare opportunities. Um, <laughs> so this is this is wonderful. So Erdo, you've given the command. The Roishan archers are not every arrow is striking its target, but they are absolutely pinning down this medium. Um, and after pulling back Pasak uh, and Fee, uh, who again they're your initiates, and I think you especially given that Pasak is in a fairly shaken state, just to pr- protect the two of them, you've like almost dragged them back to the shore. But as this medium is pinned there above the water, and again, they are not like perfectly distracted by the arrows uh, that they're intercepting, but they are definitely pinned down in this position. Um, how do you kill this medium? Because you do here. Okay, I think after dragging her initiates to safety... Given that this is kind of a pool of a room, I imagine it's a little shallower towards the edges for the most part. And Erdo 
charges along the side of this pool, aiming to basically sever this medium's spine right at the hip. Like stabbing into the left of the back and then dragging it across to sever. Yeah, so... All, this is where I add the complications that you had. Mm-hmm. So you stab up with your spear after closing the distance between the two of you. And as you do so, I think this moment is practically in line with the moment of the other medium being veritably annihilated by Teddy. Um, you stab your spear up, and this medium knows that her time is over. And I think she she completely stops the bits of her garment retract back onto her body that were deflecting these arrows and she like grabs the haft of your spear and pulls herself down further onto it closing that distance that the spear shaft puts between the two of you in the instant Erdo panics and draws a dagger to try and slit the medium's throat yeah I think uh, your your arm goes upwards and she like grabs your arm uh, and obviously like the archers have stopped because they you are in the way. They they wouldn't want to to hit you, especially since you're leading this off. In slow motion, I see Roishan throwing down their bows, switching to swords and running, but still too far. Yeah, and you see the the garment that this medium is wearing in the same way that it had been stretching off uh, of of her skin to in these shadowy wisps absorb and capture these arrows. Uh, it flakes off uh, of her and attaches itself to your armor and you see like the color of your your brilliant patchwork armor shade down to a pitch black ash and charcoal as her her garment uh, sort of like almost stretchy filaments stick out and grab hold of it and merge with it and with a smile on her face, she lets your arm go and your blade severs her throat and she dies. Meanwhile, those bits of your armor, they crack and separate from the rest of it. Um, I think you you lose not just a beloved piece, but like that whole arm up to half of your breastplate just break off uh, into the water and the water around it like sizzles. And you see the armor take fuller form and rising up out of the water, climbing onto the land to intercept the Roishan are those former comrades who that armor yes! belonged to. Fuck. Oh, yes. Fuck. Oh my yes. God. Okay, this is way better than what I had. Yeah, no, this is amazing. And and one of them, that first comrade who, who you first took from, what was... What was their name? I think their name was Wreath. So Wreath... Wreath's eyes are completely dark as she stands there in the water next to you, uh, a shadowy blade in her hand. But in the moment where she stabs at you, she looks just like the day she died to you. Hmm... Again, you leave this uh, wounded. Um, So where does the blade hit and why is it so severe? I think what happens is Erdo slips into a state of shock and she reflexively brings up a leg to deflect this lunge coming at her. 
but she's unfocused, panicked. And this winds up deflecting the blade right into her gut, the side of her gut. It's bad. 